Well, it's a very good afternoon to you. My name is um, Dr. Cindy Fansale, and I'm sitting in for Jonathan Witt, um, and I'll be doing the health hour for the next hour between now and 2 o'clock. We'll be talking about Ebola. So I think a lot of you have um, heard about Ebola. There's no one that doesn't know what's happening with Ebola right now. And we know that three West African countries are currently affected by Ebola. So it's Sierra Leone, it's Guinea, and it's Liberia. The thing about Ebola right now, the Ebola outbreak right now, is that this is the worst outbreak we have ever seen. And what other people don't know is that Ebola primarily breaks out in Central Africa. So this is the first time that we've had an outbreak in West Africa, and this could be also one of the reasons why things are so hectic there. I have in studio um, Jens, and Jens works for Doctors Without Borders, and he'll be chatting to us later on about his um, work in um, Liberia. He returns from Liberia three weeks ago, and it'll be really great to hear from him exactly what's happening on the ground. It's one thing to see what's happening on TV. It's one thing to hear it from CNN, who are really sensationalizing stuff, and it's quite a Another to hear from someone who's been on the ground in the thick of things, really helping out and trying to and trying to sort the, the matter out. So we'll be back and we'll be chatting to Jens. When you try your best but you don't succeed When you get what you want but not what you need When you feel so tired but you can't sleep Stuck in rivers And the tears come streaming down your face When you lose something you can't replace When you love someone but it goes to waste Could it be
And yeah, we're back. It's 10 past one and we have Jens in the studio. Um, hi, Jens. Good to have you. Good to have you in studio. Thanks for having so, me. So, yeah, I've introduced you um, as, as you know, as one of the field workers from from um, Doctors Without Borders, and I've and I've told people that you came back from Liberia about three weeks ago. So, just as you know, by way of introduction, just tell us a bit about yourself and how you got involved with Doctors Without Borders. So, my background is I'm trained as a nurse, mm. and I have worked for Doctors Without Borders for seven years now. Worked in many different countries in different positions. Yeah. Uh, worked in Sudan, South Sudan, Sierra yeah. Leone, Zimbabwe, South Africa, India, uh, and Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. Um, both as a nurse, but also as coordinating project. Okay. And so with the, with the mission out to Liberia, how did, so where were you before you were posted out there? So now I have, position as humanitarian advisor for Doctors Without Borders based here in Johannesburg in South Africa. So I'm permanently based here and work for Doctors Without Borders out of Johannesburg. Oh, okay. So when you got to Liberia, um, you know, you got there, I don't know what you were expecting to see. What was it like? You landed and, and what was it like? Well, I think the first impression once you land, you, you see people wearing gloves and masks like you did during the SARS uh, epidemic. Yeah. And knowing a little bit about Ebola, that was somewhat, I think, hilarious because Mm. you know that if you go about your your job as normal and you're not in contact with sick people, you do not have to worry about Ebola. But of course, the nervousness and perhaps panic that is also very much a part of Ebola uh, makes people... Be extra cautious. Extra cautious. And so people wearing gloves and masks everywhere. And then, of course, once we arrived in our treatment center, it was uh, in our hospital, which yeah. is a purely uh, hospital, purely for Ebola patients, yeah. uh, which has 220 beds. And it was nothing really that we could have prepared ourselves for. Oh, um, my goodness. Yes. We had so, so many patients. Yeah. We were entirely overwhelmed with the number of patients as soon as we had opened the hospital. Mm. Patients uh, came from all parts of Liberia uh, with Ebola signs and symptoms, yeah. uh, tested positive for Ebola. And we were running behind, basically, from, yeah. from day one until uh, a good week later when we eventually got organized. Managed to, to sort everything out. And I think this is, I think that one of the main reasons why I'm happy that you're here is that we we see a lot of uh, reports about Ebola on the news and CNN and everyone else, but and everywhere else. But it's always good to hear from someone who's been at the front line, who's been at the cold front, you know, who's experienced, you know, what it's like. And I mean, yesterday at the press conference, you you put on the the, the PPE, the personal protective equipment, and you spoke about the heat. You know, I mean, what what are the temperatures like in in Liberia? What are we dealing with? What kind of a country are we working in? So in Liberia at the moment, it's. Uh almost the end of the rainy season. Yeah. So it's still not full-blown summer yet. Um, so we were looking at days where it would be raining like a good Joburg thunderstorm. And yeah. we were looking at days where it would be very hot in 30, 35 degrees. And the challenge, of course, with that is when you work in the protective gear or yeah. the PPE, as you, as you said, you get very, very warm very, very quickly. I, can I, I usually try people, uh, explain to people or, or try encourage them to imagine what it's like to wear your raincoat in a sauna mm. because that's what it feels like. Yeah. You lose two, three liters of, of sweat body fluids in, in an hour's work in the uh, Ebola wart inside yeah. the high-risk zone. And it's, it's very, very physically uh, taxing. Mm. So you need to come out after an hour, which is our preferred maximum time to in, spend in, in the there, equipment, yeah, in the equipment, and then you need to rehydrate and you need to rest. Mm. So you would drink liters and liters of waters after having having attended to patients for for only just one hour. Wow, Jens, yeah, that's that's really that's yeah, that's a really graphic, um, you know, explanation of what's happening there. And I think just before we go for a break, well, you're back in South Africa. You've come back. You've been here for three weeks. Are you going to go back to Liberia? We have rotations. Um, What I did was I I was detached from the full-time job I have with Doctors Without Borders here Mm. to the project in Monrovia. Um, 
and we'll see how the response, on, on response unfolds. Um, we continue to send many colleagues there. Uh, yesterday, one of our colleagues, uh, Dr. Stefan Kruger, yeah. uh, went back to Sierra Leone okay. after having spent... Uh, I think three, four weeks in South Africa. Yes, he's been doing a lot of um, um, interviews and he was here on Monday as well. Absolutely. So he went back again. For my own sake, uh, we haven't, it's not decided yet. Um, I am working on Ebola uh, in the local uh, office. I'm supporting the the Ebola efforts a little bit more from behind at the moment. So okay. we'll see how that change. Okay, so when we come back from the break, I wanted to speak about the response, the global response and you know what's happening and what would have been most ideal given the circumstances. Cliffcentral.com
And we're back. And, um, yeah, I'm sitting in for Jonathan Witt. If you're wondering whose voice this is, my name is Dr. Cindy Fansail. You can tweet me at Cindy Fansail, S-I-N-D-I-V-A-N-Z-Y-L. And you can also call in on 0861-555-189. Or you can go to our WeChat page, which is Cliff Central. So we're chatting to Jens and he's, um, just come back from Liberia, as I said earlier. And we're talking about Ebola. So what I want to touch on is a topic that has been, you know, that has been bothering me, especially after my trip to Amsterdam. I mean, I went to Amsterdam like a month or so ago and I attended an MSF Doctors Without Borders cafe and I was in a room with 180 people and of those 180, only five of them were from Africa and we were talking about Ebola and the response and that really struck me that we, here we are, we have this, this crisis, this humanitarian crisis in West Africa. And the response from the world, and as, and as, I mean, for me personally, from Africa as well, hasn't been what it should be. So, Jens, any comments around that? What are your feelings? What are your thoughts? What would you like to see? What do we need to do to make sure that we sort Ebola out? I would like to see a lot more hands on deck in Liberia, Guinea, yeah. and Sierra Leone. Mm. And by hands on deck, I mean skilled healthcare workers who can help look after Ebola patients. We need training of community health workers who can look after what we call contact tracing and monitoring. So people who have been in contact with an Ebola patient, they need to be monitored. And if they do become sick, they need to be referred to the hospital. For that, we need ambulances. We need support for fuel for ambulances. So that costs money. We need epidemiologists to help us to do the statistical and epidemiological analysis that can help us focus on areas which are hardest hit in communities. We need people who can help train community health workers and we need also to make sure that the stigma and that the panic that associates Ebola everywhere. In South Africa, in Amsterdam, in Guinea, Sierra Leone and in Liberia gets demystified. Yeah. And and you've touched and you've touched on something really important. I mean, you spoke about you spoke about um, the community. I think f- um, fear is spread because there's no knowledge. And I think in South Africa, I mean, on Twitter, I've tried very hard to make sure that people understand what Ebola is about. I mean, U.S. Twitter with their one case, that their first case that they had, they went totally crazy. And I think we need to manage that. We need the press to work with us, the media to work with us to manage that panic because that's the last thing you need. I mean, if Ebola comes to South Africa, you can't have people running around wondering when, they, when they're going to leave or running away and stuff like that. It doesn't work. It doesn't help anyone to do that. And the other thing that you, you touched on is just the practicality the practical issues around Ebola, like you spoke about ambulances and you spoke about fuel. And those are things that people don't always think about. You know, we don't, we don't think about the work beyond treating the patients. There's so much happening behind the scenes. There's so much happening before the patient reach the Ebola hospital yeah. and receive treatment. And there's a lot that happens afterwards as well. Yeah. Uh, not least psychosocial support for the patients who have gone through a very traumatic experience of, of having suffered from Ebola mm. in uh, the hospital Ebola ward where they have been witnessing a lot of patients being very sick, a lot of them dying. Around them and they can see all of this. All around them and they have many of them lost member family members or relatives to Ebola as well. So there is a lot that happens just beyond or apart from the treatment itself of the Ebola patient. And that's why so much more is needed to stop the outbreak and to stop the transmission of Ebola. And that's why we need a lot more hands on deck. We need more funds available to make sure that we can provide the quality response in the three countries, that Mm. we can scale up when needed, that we can be flexible and mobile in our approach. Yeah. And also, Jens, I think the name Doctors Without Borders, I think what people don't understand is that actually there's more to there's more to this than just doctors. I think doctors form a small part of the rest of the organization. I mean, you have you need nurses, you have like you know, you can give examples of, of who else works in this organization. You have as a nurse, I can testify to doctors needing a lot of lot of help and a lot of support when they work. And Especially in, in, in managing an Ebola hospital, yeah. the issues of so-called infection control is a very, very serious uh, and a, a very big issue in the sense that it requires a lot of 
support. Mm. It requires support from people skilled within WhatsApp. It requires support skilled within logistics. And it requires people who are simply making sure that the wards get cleaned. Mm. That um, The things we take for granted. Exactly. That the boots are washed. That the, that the, the suits are incinerated. That, you know... Waste is taken care of, and in terms of in terms of okay, can I ask you about the African Union? Are you can you comment about the African Union, or you wouldn't want to comment on that? Like, what what response were you expecting from the African Union? Was it was it too much for me to ask that they come together and they do something bigger than 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 what's happening now? Was that too much to ask? Was I being naive about that? Was the World Health Organization, the United Nations, like, why am I so disappointed in the response from those organizations? Well, I'm disappointed as well in the response from everybody who have held fancy high-level meetings, yeah. press conferences for the past, not just weeks, but for the past month. In March, Doctors Without Borders announced the outbreak as unprecedented, and we were mm. told by the World Health Organization that we were being alarmist. Mm. Now we see a different tune to the pipe. Yeah. What we still need to see and witness is some action. In my opinion, there's. I firmly believe that the lack of response and the lack of support for the people in the affected countries is a contributing factor to the outbreak having reached the scale that we are currently witnessing. I totally agree. I, I think the response is too slow. And and even now, we're playing catch-up. Whatever's coming in is just a matter of playing catch-up. But you know what, Jens? We'll take a break now. And when we come back, I want us to talk about the myths around Ebola. There's a lot of issues that people have, like how do you get Ebola? Can you get Ebola from food? And I know that you will be able to help us through all of that. Unreal. Uncensored. Unradio. Cliffcentral.com Die. 
And we're back on the half hour. My name is Cindy Fonsale, sitting in for Jonathan Witt, and I still have Vince in the studio, and we're still talking about Ebola. So a lot of people have concerns about how Ebola is spread, and I think um, there's too many myths around it. There's too many, um, you know, we need to demystify and make sure that people have the right information on how you can get Ebola. So I'm going to ask Jens to go through how you can get Ebola. And yes, you can get Ebola from sexual intercourse, but Jens is going to cover that. So yeah, Jens, just talk us through the transmission of, of Ebola. Let me start by saying I can understand that people are concerned. Yeah. And I think we must take concern seriously, but we must also make sure that we don't panic. Ebola is transmitted through body fluids. Mm. What that means in practice is blood, urine, stools such as diarrhea, um, vomiting, sweats, and as you say, uh, through sexual intercourse. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, most of these modes of transmissions, vomiting, blood, and diarrhea, and so forth, are not something we we, we witness on a daily basis. But yeah. that's also why we have seen many either healthcare providers or caretakers uh, being infected mm. uh, in the beginning or the early parts of the outbreak. Now, in order for you to get infected with Ebola, it means that you need to have contact uh, with a person that have symptoms of Ebola, which means that if you are not having symptoms yet, if you're not having the fever, if you're not having the the headache, the fatigue, yeah. you know, any of the symptoms that I mentioned, such as diarrhea or vomiting, uh, you are not yet contagious. And I think this is an important this is an important point for people to understand that until you're symptomatic, you can't spread Ebola. So what that means in practice is that if you sit next to, uh, or sorry, if you sit in the plane with someone that has flu three rows or seven rows away from you, you are very, very unlikely to have contracted Ebola should that person develop symptoms later on. That's the story, as we have seen with the Liberian gentleman that passed away in Texas. He was well when he traveled, and he developed symptoms once he he had arrived. arrived. And in order not for people to panic, it is very important to keep in mind that you are only contagious, as we say in medical terms, which means you can spread the disease yeah. when you have symptoms. Okay. And in terms of in terms of getting it from touch, you know, like, you know, people laying hands on, on, on dead bodies or sick people. Someone asked me on Twitter if, you'd, if you had to have a break in the skin for you to, to get Ebola. Does your skin have to be broken? Ebola virus, like any organism that enters your body needs an an entry port. Yes. Now your skin, if your skin is intact, it's it's a it's an efficient uh, barrier. barrier. Mm. But we most of us have a small cut on our finger, on mm. our nail, and it happens, on our and it, arm. it happens easily. If you scratch yourself in the eye, any mm. mucous membrane as we say, which is the eyes, the nose, the mouth, the mouth. your uh, genitals as yeah. well is a potential entry point. Okay. So, of course, if, if that is why when we work as healthcare workers in the Ebola ward, we do not touch ourselves. We don't adjust our mask or our goggles while so we once work. Once it's on, it's on. Once it's on, it's on. Oh, Jens, that's hectic. But it also means that, of course, should you touch something, when you wash your hands with water and soap or chlorine, or any other disinfectant before scratching your eyes, um, poking your nose or whatever, you have minimized the risk of transmission. Uh, of transmission. Okay, and you mentioned, yeah, and you'd mentioned, uh, I think you mentioned yesterday that Ebola is a very weak virus. Um, so hand sanitizer, you know, if, if I was to travel to, I don't know, Sierra Leone, for example, would it be, would it be advisable to have hand sanitizer in my bag, not shake people's hands, not hug anyone? What, what, are, what, are, how is the community responding to the outbreak? What are the measures that have been put in place to ensure that we don't, that transmission is lowered? So in, in the areas in the three countries, yeah. um, people have very quickly and, 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 and I think very wisely adjusted or, or taken on, sorry, the habit of not shaking hands, mm-hmm. not hugging. Um, people are encouraged in an outbreak such as this not to touch each other mm-hmm. and touch as little as possible. Now, it's also 
a little bit of, of, of common sense, proper hygiene. Mm-hmm. Um, hand sanitizer is one way. Clean water and soap is just as efficient. But, of course, we know in some of these areas, clean water is not necessarily available or it may even be a luxury. And it's uh, so, so we have to consider other ways of trying to protect ourselves as individuals. And yeah. one is to keep a safe distance, avoid overcrowded areas, congregations. Okay. Uh, of course, avoid hospitals <laughs> uh, first and foremost, yeah. but also... Avoid shaking hands, avoid hugging, um, or, or any uh, physical contact. And that's, and that's such a weird thing. So, I mean, if you think about how often we hug each other and shake hands and, and, you know, tap each other, I mean, it's, 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 it's unimaginable, unimaginable not to be doing that. The other thing I wanted to touch on, Nunes, is, is contact tracing. I mean, contact tracing basically means that if I'm diagnosed Ebola positive, you must now trace every single person that I've come into contact with. How does that happen? I mean, for t- today, for example, you'd have to go to McDonald's. You'd have to go to the petrol station. Like, how how do you how do you how do you get me to tell you when I'm sick who I've come into contact with? How do, where do you get that collateral information from? What what's the procedure? Well, one would have to get that information from you, and of course, it's not necessarily everybody that have been in in the vicinity of you. Okay. It's 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 people that have been in a reasonably uh, close contact or proximity. So you and I, we hugged when I came in. Yeah. So I would be a contact. Okay, and then he, you know, and then the, my helper and my children and my husband and so on. And some of our colleagues here at the radio station as well. Okay. But it's a, it's and that's it's a good way to illustrate just how big a job it is and 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 how much more is needed because at the moment contact tracing is not very efficient. Mm. But Ebola has. An incubation period, which is incubation is the, the medical term for when you contract the virus till when you develop symptoms. Yes. Uh, of 2 to 21 days. Okay. Now, in, in most cases, it's if you're infected, you develop symptoms within 2 to 5 days. Okay. But imagine just for the past 3 days or 5 days to... Move back in your head and think of everyone you've had contact with you, that you shook hands with, that you hugged, that were close with you. It's it's a very, very big work. It's a puzzle. Basically, yeah, it's a lot of work, and also I want to touch on something that um, I've, I've, you know, I've been trying to help people understand this: the conspiracy theories around around Ebola. Um, I think we've seen this with HIV, where people believe that HIV was made in a laboratory, and again, it's coming again. HIV, um, um, Ebola was made in, in a laboratory. How do you deal with such? I mean, I think these are myths that even in the community you'd have to dispel them. That you know, Ebola has not come with the white man and, and stuff that people are saying on the ground. How do you go about trying to get people to understand that that's not the case? Well, you mentioned HIV, and mm. and, and we know here in, in 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 South Africa in particular, and in many other Southern African countries as well, that to to change people's people's way of thinking, to change people's mindset and behavior is a very very long process. It is a very long. We process. have had many years and we continue to see denialism when it comes to HIV for example yeah now Ebola this outbreak have been going on for more than seven months now and one can just put the challenge in perspective of how many years we have tried to educate people on HIV on TB as well for example yes um, so it's certainly not an easy job and it's something that won't, that won't happen overnight. But I mean, with, with, whichever way we can, we're out there educating people. Well, you can, yeah, you can tweet, um, at cliffcentral.com or you can WeChat at cliffcentral. We'll be back, um, and I'll be asking you a few more questions about, about the outbreak. Cliffcentral.com. She took her love for to gaze a while. 
back. My name is Dr. Cindy Fansale and I'm sitting in for Dr. Jonathan Witt. You can tweet me at S-I-N-D-I V-A-N-Z-Y-L and I'm still in studio with Jens from Doctors Without Borders, um, MSF. So if you want to make a donation to MSF, you can donate at www.decidetodonate.co.za or you can SMS join to 41486 and you'll be able to donate 15 rand monthly. I mean, every cent counts as you've heard from Jens. So Jens, coming back to, um, you know, during the break, we had someone speaking about the conspiracy theory about how um, Ebola is for depopulating, um, you know, the continent. I mean, like really, from me to you guys, that's not true. We don't believe in such conspiracy theories, Jens. We don't believe in that stuff. No, I don't believe in it either. Yeah, because you've, you've gone down there. And I mean, what I say to people is that if someone made a virus, that person would probably get every medical prize that there is available on the face of this earth. I mean, viruses are very, very, very clever organisms. So I'd, I'd want to meet the person that created, you know, the virus. But anyway, moving along. Jens, I want to ask you about um, the treatment of Ebola. So people know that people get cured. There is no official cure for Ebola. What does a treatment entail? What does supportive treatment entail? So in, in essence, people recover more than they get cured from Ebola because there is no cure, as you say. So what we do in in order to help uh, patients suffering from Ebola and and to make sure that that they have a chance of recovery is we provide them with very basic uh, treatment for rehydration. Mm -hmm. For When people vomit and they have diarrhea, people lose a lot of fluids. So we replace that. We make sure they have proper nutrition. Uh, as you know, sick, pe- sick people uh, and weak people need uh, extra nutrients, extra protein to mm-hmm. recover. And we provide also a basic range of, of medicines to treat other diseases such as malaria, uh, bacterial infections, yeah. uh, in order to make sure that your immune system can actually focus on fighting the Ebola virus in your body. 
Okay. And then when do you consider a person cured of Ebola? I mean, so once a person has recovered, you've done the supportive treatments, they've recovered. When would you say, okay, now Cindy is fit for discharge? So in relation to when we talked about only being symptomatic, sorry, only being infections when you're symptomatic, the, the first criteria is that you need to have been asymptomatic for at least three days. Okay. Which means no symptoms of Ebola, fever, no joint ache, pain, absolutely nothing, nothing for three days. Okay. Then we know that the likelihood of you being uh, contagious or infectious is very little. Okay. Then we can do, like we can do a blood test to test whether you have Ebola or not. We can do a repeat of that test and we can see what is the level of the virus in your blood. Okay. okay. And then we can decide based on that in combination with your clinical condition or, yeah. or your general condition uh, when it would be suitable to discharge you. Okay. And I know that, I mean, after you've discharged some patients, I mean, there's still the reintegration into their communities because people have been so frightened. Everyone knows that OCD had Ebola and now she's back. They have to be reassured that, you know, she's not infectious, that you can't get it. And, and I think that little community health workers play a very vital role in that educating the community about, about, you know, the, the curing of Ebola and how people are no longer infectious. And in terms of the um, the vaccines and the, the, you know, the therapy that we've been hearing about, especially when the two Americans got sick and then, of course, the patients um, overseas, I was trying to explain to someone earlier on that when Ebola broke out in 1976, um, the U.S. defense and some Canadian laboratory already started working on a, on a, on a vaccine or, or treatment. So what happens what happened thereafter is that Ebola is one of those forgotten diseases that people don't really focus on. It, um, um, pharmaceutical companies aren't pumping money into into research around that area because it's not a very um, common disease as they would for malaria. So, the theories around you know uh, treatments being afforded to people from overseas or, or or people being airlifted out, I think I want you to explain that when you, when you go into a country as you've gone to work in Liberia, there are systems in place to ensure that if anything happens to you, you are evacuated. I think people need to understand that it's not it's not selective. I wouldn't call it selective medicine, but there's you know you you sign forms and you sign indemnity. Like you need to explain that to everyone. It's like how does that work? If you were to get sick in Liberia, you're going to be airlifted out of the country, aren't you? Yes, I would uh, have been taken back to South Africa as mm. as where I live, as I'm a resident in South Africa. Mm. And I think it's important to say that I mean. There is a lot of attention. There's a lot of focus on vaccines, experimental treatment. As doctors without borders, MSF, we are not testing any drugs exactly. on any patients. Yeah, and I think people need to hear. People need to know that. It's it's. Uh, we are following the discussions and all the research, yeah. and we are engaging uh, in discussions with some of the research centers, with some of the. Uh, universities and so yeah. forth that are looking into this. Our first and foremost criteria is, of course, that it needs to be therapeutic relevant, which yes. means that it needs to have had a proven effect, but it also needs to have been proven that it doesn't have any, uh, that, well, that the risk and that the dangers are, are, are not superseding the that, potential value of using a new drug. Yeah, and that's why we have the guinea pigs now. I mean, okay, there's people that I call guinea pigs, but they're people who are having these vaccines and so forth tried on them, and we're hoping that by December there should be information on the side effects of these potential um, um, therapies. But it's a work in progress. I think what people don't realize about vaccines and treatment is that it takes a lot of years to to you know to, 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 to t- test a medicine. For example, Panado, paracetamol. It's not, it didn't happen overnight that we knew that paracetamol works for headaches. It's it's years and years of research and and development, but um, yeah, with the with the Ebola, it's something that's 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 um, underway. But yeah, we'll be back at the um, yeah, we'll be back for the final segments of the health hour um, after this. Ask for money and get advice. Ask for advice, get money twice. I'm from the dirty, but that chico nice. Y'all call it a moment. I call it life. One day while the light is glowing, I'll be in my castle golden. But until the gates are open, I just want to feel this moment. I just want to feel this moment. I 
and go into the last segment of the Health Hour. It's been really fantastic having Jens in the studio. I'm going to give Jens an opportunity just to expand on what Doctors Without Borders does. Over and above Ebola, this is an organization that's been around since 1971 and there's so much more that they do. So Jens, just talk us through what the organization does and how people can donate because I know that 90% of, of um, MSF's funding comes from private donors. Yeah, and it's very important for us that it, it stays that way. So MSF is a medical humanitarian organizations which means that we provide medical assistance be it medical surgical in natural disasters conflict areas outbreaks such as we've seen now with ebola or hiv mm-hmm. um, and and strive to help the most marginalized and the most vulnerable populations through our medical services and in terms of donations, like if, if I was, if I wanted to make a donation, if someone that's listening would like, like to make a donation, how would they go about it? So we have set up uh, a website for the Ebola campaign, which is at www.decidetodonate.org. Or you can, uh, as, as you said earlier, you can SMS join to 41486, which will, will come with a 15 rand monthly donation. Okay, and I know that a lot of people as well bequeath their inheritances to um, Doctors Without Borders, and that's how they're able to continue to do the work that they do. And just a closing, any closing statements from you, Jens, anything that you want us to know about Ebola, about just, just a final a closing statement for us? Well, I think it's important to don't panic, mm. but we also need your help. 
as Doctors Without Borders, and more importantly, the people in Guinea, Sierra Leone, and Liberia, they deserve our help. They have been abandoned by many international actors, organizations, and states, and I think it's about time that we we put full throttle, hands on decks, and, and, and we give them the help they deserve and need. Okay, thank you so much for being in the studio with me. And, you know, just from my point, I really love the work that MSF does. I think as a child, it's always my dream to work for MSF. But thank you so much for coming in and, and keep up the good work. Thank you.